when your child's diagnosed with cancer, you truly become an expert in that type of cancer. And I am not an anomaly. Like if you had another mom sitting here whose child hepatoblastoma or ATRT, they would be an expert in that type of cancer. You just, you, you have to try to understand it. You're listening to Orlando Impact, a podcast dedicated to shining the spotlight on purpose-driven leaders in our city. Here's your co-host, Andy Young. Welcome to Orlando Impact. My name is Andy Young, your co-host of the show. I'm one of the financial advisors at the Life Wealth Group. We're here today with Melissa Wiggins, the co-founder and executive director for Cannonball Kids Cancer Foundation. Melissa, thanks for being here. I'd love for you to share a little background about yourself. Sure. Um, Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here and I fought through the winter park slash college park traffic and made it in time. So I'm glad to be here and thank you so much for being in the office today. I'm originally from Scotland, as you can maybe tell by my accent, which is sounds worse because I have a little bit of a cold. So I hope everyone can understand what I'm saying. Born and raised on the west coast of Scotland and, you know, uh, amazing, incredible parents, hardworking parents. My dad was a window cleaner and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. There was five of us growing up and we were told that uh, we had to go get an education because my parents didn't have that opportunity. And if we could do that, then the world was our oyster was basically what they said. So I became a little study worm and um, worked really hard and, and went to law school, which was a huge feat for our family and I became a lawyer and I worked in Scotland as a commercial litigator for two years. Then I moved to the US and everyone always asks me, why did you come to the US? And I always jokingly say for a boy, but that boy is now my husband and father of my children. (laughs) So the end of the story is that it did work out. Um, So actually uh, my husband, Michael was on a golf trip in Scotland while I was working and we met and, uh, And we did long distance for five years because I was very education orientated and career minded. And eventually he said, are you coming to the U.S.? And so I came and now we have a bunch of kids and a crazy story. (laughs) So (laughs) that's the short version. So So I I know from speaking with you in the past that that along the way, so you you and Michael uh, got together, that you, you had a wonderful family that got started up. But one of the things that impacted you, unbeknownst to you, how much it was going to impact others afterwards was was pediatric cancer. Can you tell me a little bit, share with the listeners a little bit more about the journey and, and how that came into your all's lives and, and impacted you? Sure. In 2013, I had one son, Cannon, and I was 38 weeks pregnant with twins. I was about the size of a house. And Cannon started limping and we were, Michael, my husband travels a lot for work. He was out of town and um, I really wasn't sure what to do. I didn't have any family here. So I took him to the pediatrician and they said, you know, typical boy probably just banged his leg. And so, but unfortunately he reverted back to crawl and he was 20 months at the time. And I took him to an orthopedic doctor and they said, you know, I think he probably has an infection in his bone. And so my husband flew home and, you know, I'm very heavily pregnant and they're talking about going into his knee and putting him in a cast. And I just remember thinking, this is like the worst thing that could ever happen. Like, this is so dreadful. Like, I can't imagine. And we were, you know, it was my firstborn and he was my little guy. And I was, we were devastated just to find out that he might have like an infection in his knee. So 
I think I really sympathize with families who just, you know, you love your child unconditionally. The thought of anything being wrong with them, whether it's cancer or whether it is, you know, an infection, you know, you're just, it turns your world upside down regardless. I remember saying to my husband, I just feel like something is off. And the doctor was looking on his computer and he was making calls and we were supposed to be going into surgery to fix the knee. And this was like two days after um, we had found out that he was limping. And the doctor said, you know, I'm not sure if this is an infection. The blood work doesn't look to correlate with that. And I just knew, you know, it was like motherly instinct. And I said to my husband, oh, my gosh, I hope it's not a tumor. And my husband was like, why would you say that? You know, like, no, like, don't think like that. And if you know me, you know, I'm a very optimistic person. So for me to go there, that was a leap. But I just felt it. I felt like something was up. And of course, Cannon hadn't eaten all day. You know, this was just like a whole new world of being in the hospital all day. And then they said, you know, we're going to put you on the fourth floor at Arnold Palmer Children's Hospital, which was like a generic, just general floor. And we're going to have doctors come and just sort of see Cannon and see what they think. And, uh, you know, and of course, then they said, you know, we'll have an oncologist come. We'll have infectious disease. Like they were almost trying to slip it in there that an oncologist was going to come. But I, you know, I knew something was up at that point. So we did tests like all through the night. And then at 7 a.m. the next morning, the oncologist, Dr. Justy, said he was coming to our room and that he was going to talk to us about Cannon. And um, he said that Cannon had stage four neuroblastoma, he believed. And of course, I mean, I didn't even know what neuroblastoma was. And uh, I remember saying, he's not going to die, is he? Like, I just remember saying that. And it was totally a rhetorical question. Like, I really wasn't asking if he was going to die. It was just in that moment. And he sort of tilted his head and he said, you know, he has a 50-50 chance. Mm. And our whole world just kind of blew up from that point. And I, during our journey, I broke down one time and it was in that moment. Like, I felt like an elephant was standing on my chest. I stood up from the room. I walked out and I literally, like, couldn't breathe. And then I like to say I got my SHIT together and, um, and, and we moved on from there. And I was just in mama, mama bear mode, like fight mode. And, you know, it was just a crepe. Ten days later, I gave birth to the twins at Winnie Palmer. They gave me a room that was across the, the, the bridge from the ICU. So I delivered the twins and then they wheelchaired me back over to Cannon, who was having his first chemotherapy with his dad in the ICU. And honestly, from that point, it was just an absolute roller coaster ride. It was up and down and we traveled all over the country with him to to try to save him. So Well I, I know obviously with that that a lot of time, a lot of sleepless nights of of kind of wondering, you know, what if, what can we do? You know, is this the right course of action? You know, obviously the doctors are more experienced than than we are, but you know, surely there's research and there's things out there to be able to help. And I know I know from speaking with you that that you'd said that now looking back and looking at how pediatric cancer is treated, that obviously it's very different when we look at the research and we look at what's available versus for an adult. You know, so maybe share a little bit with that as far as with you know, what you found, the, the legacy that Canon uh, left and how that kind of shaped you being able to create the organization that you have now and, and what that's spearheading. I think, you know, by nature, my husband and I are both researchers, you know, we're both litigators. And so it's kind of bred into you to find the details and and look into things and never just sort of accept the first answer. 
And so that was good for Cannon. You know, I think he's alive today in part because Michael and I fought really hard for him and, and found the best places for treatment and, and really, really just always advocated for him. And of course, you know, the doctors and the nurses are incredible and helped hugely with his journey. But when your child's diagnosed with cancer, you truly become an expert in that type of cancer. And I am not an anomaly. Like if you had another mom sitting here whose child hepatoblastoma or ATRT, they would be an expert in that type of cancer. You just, you, you have to try to understand it because it's so complicated. And in order to communicate effectively with the doctors, you really want to know exactly how it operates and, and what it does. And Cannon's was very aggressive. And so they they kind of jokingly say, you know, we throw the whole kitchen sink at it because they don't actually know what prevents it from coming back. So Cannon has had every form of treatment. So he's had radiation, he's had immunotherapy, he's had chemotherapy, he's had 13 hour tumor resections. I mean, there is no type of, he had a transplant. There is nothing else that like is available. Like that is all of it. And Thankfully, you know, September 17th was two years since he completed his treatment and I just wow. dropped him off at first grade. So, <laughs> you know, Cannon's story is is one of light and love, and but unfortunately, they're not all like that. Yeah. And that's why we started Cannonball Kids Cancer really was, we feel like, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. And our boy is here and he's alive. And so it's our job to try to change it for those families that don't have that. And those families that, you know, woke up this morning and went to their funeral of their child, right? Like I think about those families every single day. And sometimes I wish I was of the personality where I was like, all right, well, we did good. Let's go. But unfortunately, I am not. And neither is my husband. We both are are very driven and, you know, will fight pediatric cancer as long as we're on this earth. Because what is available today is not acceptable to either of us. And I like to sort of explain it in terms of what Canon endures as a survivor. We talk about the goal is survivorship, right? That's the number one goal. We want children to survive. We want more children to survive because not enough do. But we also want that survivorship to be a better quality of life. And why is it not a good quality of life is one of the questions we ask ourselves all the time. And it's because of the treatment. So at Cannonball Kids Cancer, we're trying to create more treatments, but we're also trying to create better treatments because we believe that they go hand in hand. And so when I found out that when I was signing all of the papers and the doctor said, you know, I said, well, what, what, type, what type of chemo is this? And, and tell me about it and try to educate myself about what he was going to be given. They were like, oh, it's just garden variety chemo. And, and those were the actual words they used. And I was like, garden variety? Like, what does that even mean? Like, you're talking about treating a 20 month old child. You know, unfortunately, it is not the oncologist's fault. They have a toolbox and they open that toolbox every day and there's limited supplies of what's in there. And the supplies that they have are not great. And they are garden variety. And that means that they are also given to women with breast cancer and men with testicular cancer. And they're created for those reasons. So the toxicity in an adult comparatively to a child is hugely different. And so while it may kill the cancer, the, the side effects that those children who survive will live with for, for the rest of their life. And, you know, I always say, you know, I can't wake Cannon up in the morning and I put hearing aids on him every single morning because the chemotherapy killed his hearing. 
And I have a first grader who comes home and asks me, why am I short, mom? Why am I so much shorter? Like the girls are bigger than him and the boys are bigger than him. And his twin brothers are the same height as him and he's almost two years older than them. And why is that? It's because he had radiation up and down his spine and so he's going to be shorter. And it is my job as his mum to create a confidence in him that regardless of height, but it is also my job, I feel like, to change it so that kids don't have to deal with that, right? So another thing is, you know, it's very unlikely that children that have as much treatment as Canon had stage four will naturally father a child. Again, it is my job to show him that through adoption and other ways that he can be a father, of course. But I also don't accept it. It shouldn't be the norm. And so our whole preface at CKC is, Cannonball Kids Cancer is, let's change the status quo. Let's not make that be the norm. You know, it shouldn't be like, oh, you know, this is just what happens. No, it's not acceptable and it's unnecessary. We can change it if we fund treatments that are designed for children. That's that's amazing. Sorry, you like got no. me on my soapbox no, and now I'm great. like, you know, wired me up on a Tuesday morning. So obviously you, you experienced this, you went through the, the, the treatment process, you saw that this is not going to be acceptable, that there needs to be changes here, there needs to be research here. You're fighting an uphill battle, but, and I know that you're waging war against it, so that's, that's great, but there had to be a turning point along the way where you said, okay, I feel like now I can see that the, what we're doing, we're making a difference in that. But, you know, tell me a little as far as that turning point in your journey with that, where you really felt like Wow. I think it was when um, I met a little boy called Coulter and his mom in Augusta, Georgia. And three years ago, in August of 2015, I gave her first research grant at that institution, Georgia Regents at the time, and gave $100,000. That's all we made. And we were like, here, you know, do research for brain cancer. We picked brain cancer because Cannon had lost a really good little friend that he met in his journey from medulloblastoma Oscar and so we wanted to honor him and so it was Oscar's grant that we were giving and they said you know do you want to meet a child that's like on this clinical trial I was like yes of course I mean that is like what keeps me going every single day is the thought that we could somehow change one child's life and when Michael and I started Cannonball Kids Cancer we said imagine if we just saved one kid imagine like that would so we funded this clinical trial or helped fund it. There are definitely other funders um, involved. And we helped fund this clinical trial. And I got to meet Coulter and, you know, hug his mom and dad. And his mom said, you know, they had been sent home from several um, incredible institutions around the United States because there was just no more options. There was nothing else left. And they had been told. You know, Coulter probably has one month to live. You need to go home and enjoy your time with your child. And I believe that Coulter was six at that time. And when I met Coulter, he was eight. Wow. So, and Coulter is still alive. That's and, amazing. And um, it gives me chills like all over my body. He is like one of my all time heroes in the cancer world. And he is a fighter. And he is alive in part because Cannibal Kids Cancer exists. And I don't really think it gets any better than that for me. That, that's, yeah. that's great. So Melissa, every day we get to interact with purpose-driven leaders like yourself who have made an impact and want to share their story with other people. And in part of sharing that, I'd, I'd like for you, if you could, if you could go back and tell yourself one piece of advice at the beginning of your journey. 
So obviously the, you had the diagnoses, you, you were starting to fight through and starting to look, you were researching, you're figuring everything out. If you could go back in that moment and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Hmm. I guess I would tell myself it's going to be okay. Cause I would know the answer to that then. <laughs> so, sometimes it's that simple that you yeah. can tell yourself, listen, it's, it's going, going to be, be okay. a long road, but yeah. it's going to be okay. It's a marathon. I definitely would tell myself it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's very easy to, you know, I, I tend not to go slow and, and go a million miles an hour. And, you know, that helps because, you know, I'm obviously driven, but I'm not the only person in the team. There's, there's a lot of us. (laughs) So I'm just grateful that I have the team that I have, you know, I have Mika Rich and Deborah Bray and Kelly King and Annie, and I just have like a great team. And thankfully an unbelievable scientific advisory board and board that sort of helps mold what's happening at Cannonball Kids Cancer. So it is no longer just Michael and I, which is truly wonderful. That's great. So, well, again, we've been talking to Melissa Wiggins from Cannonball Kids Cancer Foundation. Melissa, tell us where our listeners can find out more information about you and about Cannonball Kids Cancer Research. Sure. So we have a website, www.cannonballkidscancer.org, and it's amazing and it's beautiful and it lists our research and ways to get involved. We also have a Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram, all of that good stuff. So I also have a personal Facebook page, Melissa Wiggins, too. Fantastic. Well, that wraps it up for this episode. Until next time. You've been listening to Orlando Impact. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Securities offered only by duly registered individuals through Madison Avenue Securities, LLC, MAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC, AEWM, a registered investment advisor. MAS and the LifeWealth Group are not affiliated entities. AEWM and the LifeWealth Group are not affiliated entities. The LifeWealth Group is an independent financial services firm that helps people create retirement strategies using a variety of insurance and investment products. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Any references to safety, security, or guaranteed lifetime income generally refer to fixed insurance products, never securities or investment products. Insurance and annuity product guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claims-paying ability of the issuing insurance company. The LifeWealth Group is not permitted to offer and no statement made during this show shall constitute tax or legal advice. You should talk to a qualified professional before making any decisions about your personal situation. We are not affiliated with the U.S. government or any governmental agency. Mm